Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Those are verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 72, which is the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, June the 8th, 2022. The end of that, the amen and amen, reminds me of a a friend of mine, um, Agnes Joy, who is in Uganda and who just recently uh, had a baby. And and every time she sends me a message, it always ends with amen and amen. And it, it just it brings joy to my face and to my heart to even think about her because she just loves the Lord so much. And it it is just filled with the joy of the Lord all the time. So it's a precious thing for me to see that. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We're continuing our look today uh, for another couple of days at at the book of Ecclesiasticus, which again is an extra canonical book, which means it's outside the canon of Scripture, and the canon is just the rule of Scripture, the books that are included. But it's it's in something called the Apocrypha, which is a, a group of books that the early church read because it inherited that that from the tradition of uh, Judaism. And there are some of the things that are that are in Scripture that are that refer to some of these other books. And so we're, we're reading it today, as again, as I said before, we don't consider it the Word of the Lord. If you read it in a church service, you don't end that reading with the Word of the Lord and thanks be to God as a response of, of the congregation. No, you end it with, here ends the lesson because you're not claiming it to be the word of the Lord. So there's no response from the congregation. Um, So here we are in Ecclesiasticus 9 today, verses 11 to 18. We're still in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, the first 12 verses, and in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15. In uh, the Ecclesiasticus passage, again, we're getting some, some, it's wisdom literature, so you're going to see a, a group of statements that, that aren't necessarily connected to one another, but, but there are broad connections between them. He, so he begins with, don't envy the honors of a sinner, for you do not know what his end will be. And there, there's there's some absolute truth in that. I mean, how many times have have you uh, sort of believed somebody was getting all these things? They were growing in stature and influence and power and financially and all that kind of stuff, and then see them brought low. I mean, I can certainly think of some people um, that that uh, would fit into that category. People like Jeffrey Epstein, people like Harvey Weinstein. Uh, I'm not choosing Jewish people, but but for any reason, it's just these are the two names that came to mind. But there's so many people that we've seen that that rise up and then dramatic falls, and most of them are not even known to us. He said, don't delight in what pleases the ungodly. Remember that they will not be held guiltless as long as they live. So he's telling us to be careful what we admire, Uh, and it's important that we be careful what we admire. Um, There there are certain things about uh, every single president that you could admire, but there are equally things that you can't admire. So you can't be a, you know, a Bidener or a Trumper or a whatever. You can't do that uncritically is the point of all this, is to say, don't set your trust in, in men. Don't, don't look to them as something to admire because they're men. And don't, don't do that. Don't put your trust in men. And, and that's, what, that's what the world does. And, and sometimes Christians can become too much like the world, and I mean Christians on both sides of the issue. Um, there are some who specialize in criticizing one wing of the church and some who specialize in criticizing the other wing of the church for putting too much trust in men. We shouldn't be guilty of that at all. We should be quick to point out flaws and faults as well. 
keep far from a man who has the power to kill, and you will not be worried by the fear of death. I mean, that, that seems pretty axiomatic, right? Don't, don't put somebody who has, don't be around people who have the power to kill. But if you approach him, make no misstep, lest he rob you of your life, knowing that you're walking in the midst of snares and that you're going about on the city battlements. You know, again, he, he's continuing to say, be careful who you associate with. Don't don't do stupid things. Don't 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 associate with with the wrong kind of people. I have a good friend who who moved here from where he was before because he he had found himself falling into this trap, and he he became a guy who was a, a, a leg breaker sort of a person for um, for drug dealers where he was. And so some of the people that he that he um, came into contact with were, you know, sort of the people who would be, be considered on the lower part of society. And then there were others who were elected officials and things like that who had come into the debt of these drug dealers. And my friend was was a guy who, who went out and kind of took care of the, the debt problem, let's say. But, but he moved here primarily to get away from that because he realized that he was moving in the wrong circles. Uh, and so he, he decided to come out of that, and he came here and started a new life. And he, and he didn't allow the old saying to be true, which is to say that, that wherever you go, there you are. You know, a lot of people move from place to place trying to get a new start, but they end up in the same old habits. They don't, they don't change the main thing, the thing that needs to be changed, which is you, which is the, the stuff that, that you delight in, the things, you know, all that. As long as, you, as long as you're still delighting in the wrong things, you're going to be, you're going to be in the wrong places. He says, as much as you can, aim to know your neighbors and consult with the wise. Remember before yesterday's lesson, he said, don't consult with a fool. Let your conversation be with men of understanding and let all your discussion be about the law of the Most High. And that's exactly what the intention for God had for them when they came into the land, that, that the, the law would literally be, the Word of God would be everywhere. And it would be talked about at all times. And it's still something that, that says that it was a worthless meeting and a sinful meeting if two Jewish people get together and don't talk about the law. Because it's, it, that's how to get understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, he says. And so, so set your sights and your hopes and your thoughts on God's word, not on everything else. I mean, he's, he's trying to tell you, keep it simple by keeping the main thing the main thing, and don't let all these other things distract you from the main thing. Let righteous men be your dinner companions, and let your glorifying be in the fear of the Lord, not in other things, because he's already told us, don't envy the honors of a sinner or delight in what pleases the ungodly. And here he's giving the opposite. Let your glorying be in the fear of the Lord. A work will be praised for the skill of the craftsman, so a people's leader is proved wise by his words. A babbler is feared in his city, and the man who is reckless in speech will be hated. Well, that's not always true. Um, the, the last part, a man who is reckless in speech will be hated. He won't be hated by everybody because Lincoln was right. You can fool some of the people some of the time. You can't fool all the people all the time, but you can all, fool all the people some of the time. And so it's important for us to, to recognize this and, and to be careful in our own speech and not be reckless. <clears throat> the gospel today, after Jesus fed the 4,000, after healing so many, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He's just healed a whole bunch of people <laughs> and fed 4,000 men besides women and children. And they come afterwards looking for a sign. He answered them, when it's evening, you say it'll be fair weather for the sky's red. In the morning, it'll be stormy today for the sky's red and threatening. So it, it depends on when this red is, is what Jesus is saying. And, and you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you can't interpret the signs of the times. 
So you, you can look at the sky and you can figure out what the weather's likely to be based on what you observe there, but, but you have no wisdom at all because you can't interpret the signs of the times. I mean, it's no big deal. It's a simple thing, he says, to do what you do. But the problem is you're seeing signs all the time that I'm doing, and you're not interpreting them correctly. You can interpret the sky, but you can't interpret the things you see. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. Now, what's the sign of Jonah? I mean, because... 99% of the time, what you're going to hear is, and, and and there's a huge truth in this, is that he is taken into the fish, lives there three days in the belly of the fish, and the fish spits him up on dry land. So it's resurrection. It's death and resurrection. That Yes, that's certainly a part of it, but there's more to it than that, I believe, because um, Jonah was the first person to have been uh, raised from the dead. But I think Jonah's life tells us more than than just that. So Jonah was resurrected from the dead, but the belief is that Elijah actually resurrected Jonah from the dead way before this, that he was the widow's son that Elijah raised from the dead. That's a Jewish belief that that, that was the case. And so the sign of Jonah is is clearly resurrection, whether it's that first resurrection or the, or the second sort of not resurrection necessarily, but but the the coming back to life. But but it's important that, that that's the sign that we hang our hats on. We can believe in all those other miracles. We can celebrate all those miracles for what they point to about Jesus' identity. But the, but the miracle that saves us is the miracle of resurrection made possible by a righteous life and a righteous sacrifice that Jesus persevered unto the end in keeping the commandments of God, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In spite of the fact that his neighbors were persecuting him and crucifying him, Jesus prayed for them from the cross. And so it's important that that we see beyond everything else and that we desire nothing more than to know Jesus Christ and his resurrection, because it's in his resurrection that we'll participate in, in the afterlife. When the disciples reached the other side, they had gone out on the Sea of Galilee, they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. I mean, can you just imagine Jesus hearing this and rolling his eyes and thinking, Oh my gosh, are you really that stupid? Are you that dense? You know, I, I kind of thought maybe... <laughs> We had covered some ground here, and that you guys understood metaphors at any level. But why in the world would you be would you think that when I said watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees that that had something to do with bread? Clearly not. But Jesus, aware of them, said, "Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact you have no bread?" And he's going to spin this back to exactly the same response that he gave to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, you can interpret these things, but you can't interpret the stuff that's obvious and right in front of you. He says, don't you yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? You saw the sign... But you didn't understand it. It's just gone in and out of your mind. And we're certainly capable of losing the thread, even after we see great things. You know, there's a little pressure put on us, and suddenly we've, we've lost the thread of things, and, and we just wonder if God's still there. Well, he, he just did a pretty incredible miracle for you. And I'm not pick, picking at anybody other than John when I say this, because certainly I saw a great miracle with Will's healing, but, but I can quickly, under pressure, wonder, you know, where are you? So, or do you not care? I mean, but 
he says, how is it that you can fail to understand that I didn't speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I mean, he's going to say it again. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what it means, but it doesn't have anything to do with bread, okay? You're going to have to figure it out from here. And then they understood that he didn't tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, one of which deny the resurrection. That's the Sadducees. And the Pharisees teach that salvation comes through the law, but they don't do the law themselves. And they see themselves as righteous people, and Jesus is showing them what true righteousness is and how to truly understand and interpret the law. That they're not seeing those things that are in front of them. They're gritting their teeth and and looking for a Messiah to come and uh, destroy the rest of the world and, and put them in seats of honor. So their teaching is is that if you keep the law, then everything is going to be good. So it's it's all about what you do and not about grace. And that's exactly what Paul's going to respond to, and he's going to explain to the people in Galatia that that the law and, and grace are opposed to one another. And he knows this because he grew up a Pharisee. He grew up on that side of things. And so his understanding about the law and the way it worked was wrong. And that's what he's going to tell them here. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Remember, he's compared yesterday Hagar and Ishmael and, and, and Sarah and Isaac and said that, that Hagar and Ishmael actually represent obedience to the law. That's a slavery, he says. And so freedom is the one born of grace, the one born of a promise. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You can't have Christ and. Nope. If you accept the yoke of the law, no, there's no salvation there. He said, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. That's a play on words about circumcision and severing. You're severed from Christ. You would be who would you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. So how do you get your justification? Is it by being righteous according to the law, which you're likely to misunderstand, as Jesus showed again and again and again, they misunderstood the law, and you've lost grace. Which would you rather have? And a lot of people would choose the do-it-yourself way, in spite of the fact I could tell you again and again and again, when you say, I hope I've been good enough, the answer is you haven't. Do you know what's good enough? I do. It's 100%. It's perfection. The only person ever resurrected from the dead had perfect righteousness. All these others had comparative righteousness, and they're not resurrected from the dead. It's as simple as that. He says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, it doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, that makes no difference at all. It's all Jesus. He, he, he tore apart the barrier that separates Jew and Gentile. But only faith working through love. That faith, Paul's going to say, then works itself out in love. And he's going to recapitulate this at the end, so I'm not going to jump ahead to that. But, but remind you that faith and love have to be connected to one another because faith in Christ begets love. And how do I know that? Well, it's because those are the two great commandments, to love God, to love your neighbor. He says, you were running well. In the beginning, when I was with you, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. It doesn't come from God. 
I mean, you're neglecting to listen to the Holy Spirit if you're chasing after the law again. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He says it doesn't take much to corrupt, because that's what leaven does. It corrupts something. And, and so he says a little of that will, will ruin everything. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Christ bore the penalty for us. He says this person is going to have to bear the penalty for their sin, and the sin is corruption of the gospel by intermingling it with circumcision and the law. They're going to have to bear that penalty themselves. Christ can't bear it for them because they're speaking a word against grace and against the cross. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? He's saying, look, if I was still out, because who's persecuting Paul? It's the Jews. It's not Rome. Everywhere he goes, it's either the Jews or people of some other religion, which is what you see in Ephesus, for instance. But, but it's always religious people that persecute Paul. But, but he's speaking specifically here about the persecution he gets from his own brothers in Judaism. If I'm still preaching that stuff, people would leave me alone, is what he's saying. In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And that's what he says to the people in Corinth is, I resolve to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Because there's, there's nothing else I have of value is that. It's, it's the straight, unadorned gospel. Let go of everything else, every kind of do-it-yourself thing or anything that tempts you to not believe in resurrection. He says, do away from those with those two things. That's the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He says, get rid of that stuff. And then he goes on. He is so angry with these people. He said, I wish they would, who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Don't just cut the tip of it off. Cut the whole thing off. Go ahead. Go the whole distance on this thing. He is so angry with these people that, that he, he just he wants them gone. He wants them to, to hey, if, if, if a little bit is good enough, then go ahead and take it all. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers, freedom from the law, freedom from the fear of the law and the punishment of the law. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The freedom that you've been given is the freedom to love. It's the freedom from fear, which is freedom to love. It's the freedom to, to take chances and risks and to, to, to move out and stop worrying about yourself only, but, but to love others. He said, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. This goes back to the, the Ecclesiasticus lesson about you know, being careful about the lives you lead and the people you lead it with. And it's important for us to do that. Again, it, Christian community, there's, there's no substitute. And I don't care what that community looks like. You know, I don't care if it's a house church. I don't care if it's a group of people who gather regularly and, and just share and talk about the Word with one another, or I don't care if you go to a megachurch. It doesn't make any difference to me what it is. I'm just telling you that the, that the main thing that we need to be careful of is, is we need to maintain and pursue Christian community so that, so that we are held accountable and that we're always growing because we're hearing one another and what God's doing and saying to those people. And then we've got to carry that love outward into the world. We, we've been set free from fear in order that we can live in love.